Welcome to The Men's Show, where we have debates, discussions, and usually drinks about theology, philosophy, the church, and life. Today, Nick and I are joined by our dear beloved friend, Peter Range. Uh, we're going to talk about some tough subjects today. We're going to talk about abortion, the March for Life that just took place this uh, past week in Washington, D.C. We're going to answer some pro-choice arguments, and uh, we're going to talk about the effects abortion has on the world and what men can do to fight the culture of death. So I'm your host, Kevin Jory, and if you want to put some hair on your chest, don't go anywhere. We are so blessed to have an amazing patron community. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the League of Ordinary Gentlemen, sometimes ladies too. We're rebranding a few things, but we still have our patrons where we they've got the amazing benefits of being in the community, and it's just going to get better as time goes along. You're going to have exclusive access. There's going to be exclusive content that's only available if you join the community. So. Join the community at themensshow.com, themensshow.com. And the best way to access this community is through the Awaken app. So the Awaken app, you can get that at theawakenapp.io. It is the best place to access all of the Awaken content, which we have a couple show hosts with us here today. Nick Delatore from the Awaken Catholic Show and Peter Range from the Catholic Citizen. Um, there's also daily content that you can get just there from me, the Daily Saint. So join us at the Awaken app. Uh, .io for an amazing community. So, gentlemen. Sir. I want to start this conversation because it's a very difficult and I, I don't know anyone that hasn't in some way been affected or know someone that's been affected by abortion. So even just the word abortion for a lot of our listeners is going to conjure up these feelings, uh, this hurt, this pain. Um, so first, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, but also, we need to kind of coax ourselves into it gently mm -hmm. and easily. So first, I just want to kind of reintroduce you, Peter. You know, a lot of people know you around here, but tell me, you know, just where you got started, maybe your education, uh, what kind of degrees you have, volunteer work, those sorts of things. He has all of the degrees. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I back up at the beginning of the show? You were talking about uh, putting hair on your chest. So when my grandpa was younger and the broccoli was on the table, he would say, eat your broccoli. It'll put hair on your chest. And I'm like seven years old. I'm like, grandpa, I don't want hair on my chest. It's scary. <laughs> Did you ever end up getting any? Um, that's not, not broccoli hair on your chest. Show, yeah, we're not going to talk about <laughs> can that. You show so, us? No, no this is, uh, inappropriate. <laughs> um, so I was born in Dayton, Ohio. Grew up in a little town called New Philadelphia, which is a beautiful town in Amish country, and um, went to John Carroll University. Uh, it's a small little Jesuit school on the east side of Cleveland. So our current Holy Pontiff, Pope Francis, is a Jesuit, of course. Explain did he so go much. there? Did he go to school there? He did not go to school there. Oh, no. okay. I'm not sure where he went to school, but um, probably in Argentina. Yeah, I tried to reach out to him a couple times with my Jesuit connection, but he doesn't. <laughs> you have a Jesuit connection to the Pontiff? To, yeah, I went to a Jesuit school, and I was in seminary with the Society of Jesus actually for a little bit. One of the transforming moments of my life, experiencing the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. So 30 days of silent prayer with Jesus Christ. You don't look at anyone or anything the same ever again. It's like mm. this Jesus guy that we talk about. He's actually real. He's living and he desires relationship with us. And he's pursuing us, like St. Dominic said, the hound of heaven. So Amen. I came to appreciate um, the love of the Lord in a really profound way. And I think, you know, Kevin, you mentioned 
starting the show and, you know, recognizing the seriousness of this. I don't think my friend would mind me sharing the story, but um, on the 30 day retreat, my, my buddy, Steve, uh, was having this kind of back and forth with the Lord. And um, during the conversation, he was almost testing God. And so he's saying, you know, God, if, if I don't become a priest, will you still love me? And he felt like Jesus said, yeah, I'll still, I'll still love, I've called you here, but I, I still love you if you do that. Steve's like, okay, well, what if I, um, you know, go uh, rob a bank, God, will you still love me? And he felt like the Lord just say, don't, yeah, Steve, I'll, I'll still love you no matter what. So Steve continued to test the Lord over and over again. He finally got to this point where he's like, what's, what's the most awful thing I can think of? Well, the, the, the taking of innocent human life. What if mm. I become an abortionist? So Steve goes to Jesus and says, Steve, you know, Lord, what if I become an abortionist? Will you still love me? And Steve said he felt like the Lord was just, unlike all the other questions, was silent for a moment. And then came back and said, Steve, for the love of all that is holy and good and beautiful and true, please don't do that. But if you do, I will still love you. Wow. And I think it points us to the reality, you know, Carrie Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, said that there is no uh, pit so deep that God is not deeper still. You know, I like to say there's no sin so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So if you've had an abortion, uh, you've participated in one, some shape or form, God loves you. And there isn't anything you can do about that. So when we talk about this issue, we, we start with that fundamental reality of a God who loves, who, who desires the best for us and desires us to make good choices because that is what is best for us. But a God who, no matter what our choices are, will love us mm. to the end. Um, Amen. And so I think that's an important place to start. Yeah, and that applies to yeah. like every form of sin. Like form. any any depravity that we each of us has to this day, especially you, Peter, like we no, but seriously, no matter where we're at in life, like we, it's so easy to feel um, a, a sense of uh, it, we can push ourselves away from faith out of a, a sense that we aren't good enough for God, or God couldn't possibly love me compared to these other people. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write this off as irrelevant for my life, and and I think that a lot of people do that, even if it's like a subconscious uh, process, and what you just described, what you just uh, broke down for us is so accurate, so true, regardless of the ways in which um, any of us are depraved or or distorted, twisted from our original uh, design, the the reasons that God originally made us, the, the glory that God already originally made us for, um, the beauty, even as men, the beauty that God originally made us for. And, and you know, whether it's pornography or additions to substances, um, or, or just like a proclivity to be an angry person, whatever it is, like God loves you no matter what you do. And there's nothing, as you say, there's nothing you can do about that, except yeah. for maybe a response to welcome and embrace that gift. Amen. So yeah. thank you. That's very true. And thank you guys for sharing that. That's such a, a good way to get us into this subject too. Um, just going back real quick too. So you started at, at John Carroll. This isn't a full interview. I just, you know, I'm trying to like, get the credentials up there. So like, uh, you know, John Carroll, Jesuit, you know, university from there, where did you go? If you're looking for credentials, you're not going to find many uh, in my background, but uh, no, I did the humility, a, did the a humility. couple of years of uh, volunteer service uh, with the sisters of the humility of Perry, actually a uh, tremendous experience working with immigrants in Southwest Florida. Um, I did four years of teaching in the inner city of Cleveland, St. Martin de Porres high school. During that time, I got my master's in theology from the university of Notre Dame. Um, and then I entered seminary, was in seminary for a little bit. 
Uh, then I lived with homeless men for a year after having left seminary. Um, tremendous experience. I mean, a lot of our kids who age out of the foster care system, they turn 18, they have nowhere to go. And so I lived with those men and uh, heroin addictions, gain violence, you name it. They were experiencing some of those things. So I uh, ended up out here in Northwest Ohio about 10 years ago to work at St. Thomas More University Parish. Where my I, I met my beautiful bride, and more importantly, where you met me, uh, I who's not my beautiful <laughs> <So> bride. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Laura. I love you, and uh, yeah. So we had uh, we have f- five kids, one up in heaven, three uh, kids, and then um, one on the way. So we're super excited about well, that. But we're Catholic, so it's already here. We just haven't met it yet. <laughs> yes, that's amen. <laughs> um, so uh, three years as campus minister, and then seven years as a director of the Office for Life and Justice for Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Toledo. And then uh, about 26 days now as the uh, executive director of Ohio Right to Life. Beautiful. So as the director of Ohio Right to Life, which you can get more information from that at ohiolife.org. That's right. Yep. Um, so, you know, with your previous position, you kind of uh, had this responsibility of every year you go to the March of Life, March for Life in Washington, D.C., what was that like this year going that was different than the other years? And what makes this year more pressing than the other years? Yeah, each year it's a tremendously joyful event. So if you ever feel downcast about where we're at in the pro-life movement, go to the March for Life because it's just it's hundreds of thousands, literally, of young people from all around the country who come to preach the gospel of life and, and come to be a witness to the unborn. So it's always a joyful occasion. But I think some of the energy was just palpable this year because it literally could be the last year that we marched for life under Roe v. Wade being the law of the land. So there's a Supreme Court case right now on the docket that the judges are deliberating behind uh, you know, closed doors and writing their opinions as we speak called Dobbs v. Jackson, Whole Woman's Health. So it's out of Mississippi. It's a 15-week ban on abortion. Um, but during the, the case, the lawyers supporting the, this ban on abortion attacked Roe v. Wade directly. And they say that Roe v. Wade was incorrectly decided, uh, that we now, it's not 1973 anymore, we now know so much about the development of the human person. If you go back and and listen to the Supreme Court justices, nine white men in 1973 decide for the rest of the nation that abortion should be legal. If you listen to their dialogue with the lawyers back then, they were asking them, well, when does human life begin? And even the the lawyer you could say that was representing the pro-life side was like, well, we really don't know. There's debates among theologians when the soul enters the soul, uh, the, the body and stuff. I mean, they're talking about stuff like, why are you talking about the, this at the Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. But again, it's not 1973. We now have the ultrasound technology that is powerful enough to show us in the womb the, the full development of the child. We know at the moment of conception, it's DNA, it's unique. It's not its mother's or father's, but it's a combination of the two. Uh, we know so much about the unborn child that we didn't know back then. We know that it's distinct, living, human, and whole, and it's deserving of protection. So hopefully the justice will respond to that, overturn Roe v. Wade, which doesn't end abortion. Mm-hmm. All it simply does is it sends the abortion question back to the states. So each individual state then will have to decide uh, based upon what the, those representatives uh, work on, whether or not abortion will be legal. So here in the state of Ohio, we have a, a heartbeat bill which has been passed. It's it's hung up in the courts right now. But every life at the moment of its heartbeat will be protected here in the state of Ohio. Which is um, when? Yeah, so 21 days, 21, 22 days when the heartbeat, right. we, we can detect Very a early. fetal heartbeat. Um 
So, uh, so that's awesome. It's powerful. We're hoping to pass a trigger bill here in the state of Ohio. SB 123 is, is still being worked on. That's uh, a bill that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, uh, then immediately uh, every life from the moment of conception, uh, conception will be protected here in the state. Wow. Uh, but you go to a different state like, uh, you know, uh, New York or California. California said they're going to be a sanctuary state for abortion. Um, so they're going to continue to allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. All nine months of pregnancy. Now, the, the life of the child is, is sacred at every s- stage of, of development. But how you can uh, conjure up in your mind this cognitive dissidence when you have a full live baby the day before it's going to be born and you think it's okay to take the life of that child versus the next day when it's outside the womb, that then it's okay not to take the life of the child. I mean, it's just absolutely insane where we've come as a country mm-hmm. to believe that abortion through all nine months of pregnancy mm-hmm. should be legal. But some people actually do. Now, now, moving that power to the state level is a huge win, even though we have states like California and New York, because, mm-hmm. you know, even just from a political standpoint, that is the kind of decision that should not be coming down from the top in a federal way like that. That should be a state level decision, even though it shouldn't even be a conversation. Yeah. But but I, I do think that that's a huge win for us. And then we can attack in these more, you know, microcosms of the states. We can we can work on that. If I could jump so in is, real quick, too, because yeah. I, I think this, this is a, an interesting conversation. I want to steer it away from here a little bit, like the legal aspects. And I just want to like kind of do a, a broad overview. But what you know, this gets us into the, the topic of what is the genuine purpose of the government? Mm. And I think the fundamental purpose of the government is to protect life. Yeah. So, you know, all our cards out on the table, this needs to be a federal issue, but mm. it's good. We will take what we can get and we will fight where we can fight. And then when we get to the federal level, God willing, you know, that that's their job. Well, a really interesting point to that fact. I mean, the Supreme Court could go as far to say that, yeah, looking at the Constitution of the United States, um, you know, uh, we could say that the unborn child is, in fact, indeed a person mm-hmm. and is deserving of what it says in the Declaration of Independence, Amendment 5, Amendment 14, that every in- individual has a right to life. Right. Um, so the Supreme Court, could I don't think they're going to go that far. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you, Kevin. I think federally, this is the primary function of government. If government cannot protect its citizens, yeah. it ceases to be a government. I totally agree with that uh, principle. That's exactly how I feel. I think what I said is more because I generally um, have a preference preference for localized, like, um, like I, I don't want this huge government dictating my life or anyone else's life. But from the standpoint of protecting, like, I, the, no question, if, if there's any reason it's there, it's for that. I think this is a great segue into the, to the next topic I want to do, too. So, um I think the main issue that's dividing people on both sides, you know, there's the pro-life side, there's the pro-choice side, um, is just that I think a lot of people that say that they're pro-choice haven't heard the pro-life arguments. I was one of those people. Mm. I was 100% pro-choice because that's really all I'd ever heard. I mean, you you have, you know, all of Hollywood, you know, corporate news, higher education, corporations, all of these people are on pretty much one side and they dominate the conversation. So when they dominate the conversation, that's all you hear. That's all you know. What are you supposed to do? Right. Mm-hmm. So we really need to take it upon ourselves each individually to learn these topics, um, but then also to fight against those narratives. So I want to take this time to almost do uh, a small like apologetics speed round and 
some of their arguments were already brought up and just the words we use like pro-choice. Well, I'm pro-choice. It's just I don't want, you know, someone to kill a child. <laughs> but that sounds harsh if you're on that side, but it's 100% true. You know, we don't want to control, you know, you know, other people's bodies. You even brought this argument up. I don't want the government, this huge, you know, thing coming down and, and mm. you know, just controlling every as- aspect of my life. In fact, that's Catholic social's teaching, you know, the, the teaching of subsidiarity that what can be done from the ground up should be. Yeah, that's where I was coming from. With that. um, and that's that's exactly right. So let's let's do really quick, short answers <laughs> if possible. We can talk if we want, okay? And, you know, f- feel free to jump in when we can. But I, I just want to knock down some of these dominoes and hopefully, you know, if you're on that side – or if you are, you know, wondering about what are some basic arguments, maybe this will get you started and I'll give you other resources at the end if you want to do your own research. So go ahead. You have something to say. Go ahead. No, I, I think <laughs> give, I don't I'm not against speed round. Obviously, I agree to come on the show. I, I do think that, uh, you know, this issue is so complex and so deep um, in some ways. It's in some ways it's very simple. Um, but if I go longer than you want me to, please forgive me ahead of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Will do. All right. Okay, well, fair enough. I think, what, do you have actual questions? or do you? I, I have like a list of 10 to 15 questions. So do, you know, keep in mind brevity, keep in mind <laughs> audience that these aren't full things. These are just, you know, I want you to get, you know, to think a little bit here. So basic answer, if in one sentence, if you can, why are you pro-life? Because at the moment of conception, it's a human life, and every human life deserves the fundamental rights, including the right to life. Beautiful. Anything to add, Nick? Uh, I piggybacking on that. I think that the big. I'm going to try to make this a run-on sentence. I think okay. that the, the biggest issue uh, with the the challenge for people to understand where we're coming from is that there's a conflation in the argument and in the mindset of my body, my choice. That it is. You do have a body and you have a right to make your own choices. Um, we all have a right to make mistakes or to, you know, make acts of virtue. God gives us that freedom of will, but this is a run on still. But, <laughs> but, um, but it is not, in fact, your body that is in question. If you were talking about amputating your own arm because you had body dysmorphic uh, challenges, you know, from a psychological standpoint, uh, I, I think that you have... A, 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 I know. I'm going to cut him off in just a second. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. My, my, <laughs> my point is I would hate for you to go down that road, but that, for example, would be a totally different question because that would be a conversation about, in fact, your body, whereas this is, in fact, the life of a separate person, a separate body that is connected to you and getting its nutrients from you and being cared for by your body, but it is not your body. So if I can nuance that just a little bit, um, go for it. because I think we have to acknowledge and respect that this this is indeed the woman's body to start with. Um, and you do have two conflicting rights uh, because it, as we're talking about, you know, COVID-19, for example, and all those things. And we talk about what should or should not be placed in one's body. One of the, some of the people on the right have said, look, my body, my choice. I don't want to take a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so first and foremost, every individual has a right to control their, their body. So we, we acknowledge that reality. So this is a woman's body. But I think what Nick is driving at is the second point. There's another body involved in this situation. Um, so you have the woman's body and then you have the unborn child's body. So you have two conflicting rights. 
So when you have a situation philosophically where two conflicting rights uh, are, are up against each other, the higher right, the higher value should prevail. So the, the right, for example, of a woman not to be pregnant does not supersede the right of an individual simply to be alive. Mm-hmm. So like you have a right to drive fast, if you will, on the, on the road, but not to the extent that you put other lives in danger. So your rights to your own bodily autonomy end at the level of which it's going to affect another human person, particularly in abortion, which is the ultimate form of discrimination because you're taking the life of the other individual. So two rights, the higher value must prevail, which is the right to life. That's beautiful. Exactly. So we're going to get into some of those questions as well in this slow speed round. Um, and I'm going to piggyback too. I'm getting in on it, guys. Oh, All gosh. Right. So exactly what you know, Nick and Peter just said, um, and going even one step farther is the woman's body, there is a part in the woman's body, her womb, that is specifically made for her child. This is something... This is the safest place that a baby has in the entire world. Our dear Lord Jesus was in Mary's womb. And when she, you know, she visited Elizabeth and St. John the Baptist jumped in Elizabeth's womb. Just you know, imagine what would have happened if Mary had taken her child's life. Mm. So to go against you know, your own body, this goes into body dysmorphia. There's so many things that are interconnected here. But to go against that is disordered. And we need to work within what God has given us to fully go along with his plan. Amen. All right. This is going awry. All right. So you are, you did the my body, my choice. There's another body within a body. We know that, you know, this is going on. So this is the men's show. Men shouldn't tell women what to do with their bodies. So is there a question in there or just a statement? I'm, I'm, I'm coming at you as, as the pro-choice person. Yeah, so uh, biologically, the child as much as belongs to the father as it does the mother. So um, every child, every conceived in the history of humanity came from a mom and a dad. I mean, it's just that's kind of reality. So a very basic practical point. Men have a, dis- a choice in the abortion discussion because men helped to create the child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as far as men not telling women kind of what to do with their bodies, again, absolutely respect uh, the rights of the woman over her body. But what do you do in a situation where there's another body necessarily involved? Mm -hmm. Um, So men have a particular duty, I think, in our culture and society to stand for what is good, true, and beautiful in every single situation. And just because, for example, you don't possess a uterus doesn't mean you you don't have agency in this issue. I mean, first of all, I acknowledge the reality right now that CNN ran a story last week about, uh, you know, a man who got pregnant. So we don't even acknowledge that there's different sexes and genders now anymore. So I clearly have agency if I simply identify a particular way. We're definitely canceled now. Please support us at (laughs) awakencatholic.org. But backing, backing up on that, I mean, philosophical perspective, like I don't have to own a pet. I don't have to own a dog to tell you it's wrong to beat up that dog and to kill that dog. Right. Like, um, you know, a, a mother who or an individual who's not working simply because they're not working at that time, they still have a, a, a say in tax policy, you mm-hmm. know, because that affects people. Right. So uh, so we are all engaged in trying to create a culture of life for the common good. So I would just say men have a distinct uh, duty to step into these situations because human life is at stake um, in this situation. 
My short answer would be yes. They should tell them what to do with their bodies when <laughs> they're doing something evil with them. Just like a woman should stop a man if he's doing something bad with his body. Like, mm-hmm. imagine I'm about to hit you, Peter, with a bat, and you take the bat away. No, I would totally let that happen. Bad example. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Do you have um, anything to add to yeah, that? Yeah, my, my response would be that we are living in a dynamic that is a distortion of what was meant to be. Right. So. We were never meant to be in scenarios where the woman is isolated and on her own making a decision like this. Um, The original design was for man and woman to be a unit till death do them part in the sacrament of marriage. And in that context, in that unit, in that uh, team dynamic, that that they never be isolated in these types of decisions. Um, And there there just is this this reality that we're operating so much of our society outside of those parameters even within those parameters we see the the brokenness of marriages and if in the context of marriage the the question of abortion is coming up there's real pain and wounds involved in that and we were never meant to be so full of pain and wounds in our relationships let alone our marriages and so when so much of our culture is um, uh, in this scenario, asking questions about or discerning an abortion outside of marriage, that's where we're presented with this this question of does the man even have a, a choice? And and that wasn't ever meant to be a question. Um, and, and so, yes, the man should have a choice or should have a voice in this, um, but we should also not be getting pregnant outside of marriage, ideally. Now, there are, you know, extenuating circumstances like rape and and whatever, but those are actually statistically such a small majority of the abortions that are in question here. So that's my response is that we should be married and and we should um, never be making these super terrible decisions uh, under terrible circumstances alone. We should be with a spouse and that, that spouse should be a foundation and support for us. And if I could add just real quick, so yeah, CareNet, cool. which is a 1,100 pregnancy centers across the country, did kind of a study of all the women who are abortion-minded. And the number one person that they go to to decide whether or not they should have an abortion or not is the, the father of the child. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know, just statistically speaking, that that natural foundation that you were just talking about, that men and women, sex, marriage, and baby making go together. Yeah that naturally plays itself out in these abortion decisions. So we've done a lot of marketing to, you know, help women choose life and show them all the different ways we could do that, which I think is good, but we've left out and we should be marketing to men in the pro-life movement as well, because it's men who have abdicated our duty and responsibility to raise the children that we helped to create that we're in this situation today. Yep, exactly. And just imagine St. Joseph, if he, you know, abrogated his responsibility to you know his foster child jesus imagine what would happen there i just like going back to the holy family because you know they're perfect whatever well, <laughs> really important spiritual point roland warren who's the uh the president of CareNet, he actually talked about in the scriptures matthew chapter one when joseph is called his first call isn't to protect the baby mm-hmm. like you would think you like that's the savior go wow. protect joseph his first call is don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. That's so Like good. God is worried about putting together the family because he knows once the family is together, mm-hmm. the baby's going to be taken care of. That's so good. And when we get rid of the family unit, what happens to society? It crumbles. We're experiencing that right now. And we do have to recognize that men play 
a vital role in abortion. We think of this as a women's rights issue, and you know that's the language coming back again to uh, put a veil over what's actually happening. This isn't you know a woman's rights issue. It's a family rights issue. It's men. It's women. It's children. It's very the very foundation of our society, of the world, of how we're supposed to live. Amen. There's a great Christopher West quote I want to bring into this too. This is from a few years ago on, on the Matt Frad show. Uh, and you'll notice Ephesians 6.12 in here too. We are fighting not flesh and blood. We are fighting principalities and powers who want the destruction of the Catholic Church. The way you destroy the Catholic Church is by taking out the domestic church, which is the family. The way you take out the family is by destroying sexual fidelity. Mm. And the way you destroy sexual fidelity is with contraception, pornography, and abortion. This is the world we're in. So the church has said abortion is the preeminent issue facing us today. Peter, can you tell us a little bit why it's the preeminent issue facing us? Yeah. Can I just go back to uh, that quote is so important. So, and so we can say that, but like that also plays itself out in a very practical way. So when we talk about the breakdown of the family, like, well, what's the big deal? You know, you can have, you know, single mom or single father and it's not putting down single moms or single dads. It's just acknowledging the reality that when the father is taken away from the household, you are exponentially more likely to end up in prison. Um, to commit crime, to have sex outside of uh, wedlock and then become pregnant yourself, exponentially more likely to not do well in school. 71% of high school kids who are dropouts are fatherless. Mm-hmm. Um, you're exponentially more likely to end up in poverty. So four times the the normal rate of poverty are single family households. So when we're talking about these issues, it's not just like we're, we're saying these nice flowery things. It's, it's good and important that the mom and dad are there. We're saying it from a sociologically uh, re- reality that the statistics bear out the truth of what we're saying spiritually. And it's even been acknowledged by leaders on the left, um, like even President Obama. uh, There are quotes of him acknowledging these realities that people pretend didn't happen. Yeah. Look up his father days remarks from 2008. That's exactly what he said. So what was your question again? (laughs) You, you actually answered exactly what I was asking. You're so good, Peter. All right. So (laughs) I don't think I did. There was something else. I'm going to segue from President Obama to maybe President Biden. So we got into the political realm a little bit. If we bring up President Biden and Nancy Pelosi, one of the the arguments I've heard is, you know, our president is Catholic and, you know, the Speaker of the House is, is Catholic. They support abortion all the way up, or at least they cooperate with it. How do we respond to these people that think, there's lots of Catholics that think it's okay and maybe not even a moral issue that someone can go and have an abortion. Because of the example being set by them. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, so I remember your question now. Why is abortion kind of the the, the primary, preeminent issue? So, well, let's go to Pope Francis. Pope Francis said that this is the cornerstone of the common good. So if you care about building a society and a structure, you must, as St. John Paul II called us to, you know, fight with all that you have to end abortion. Because as Catholics, we believe in individuals' right to immigrate. We believe in individuals' right to access to good health care and education and housing. But how can you claim the human person has any of those rights if they first don't have a right to live? You immediately demean a whole segment of the population if you say that some have a right to live and some do not. So at what point do you want us to respect human life if you say that they can be killed at this particular point? Now, when it comes to President Biden, he's very simply, he's not living his faith. He's not living the Catholic faith. He should be denied the Eucharist. 
because every time he's going to receive that sacrament, it's it's a sacrilege at this at this time. And because scandal. It's scandal. It's going antithetically. It's going directly against everything we believe as Catholics. And that is this, that human life is precious, that human life is made in the image and likeness of God, and it needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. St. Mother Teresa said that we're in this situation as a world today. If you see violence, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to one another. Um, the human child at its very moment that it's conceived and then throughout its life, it's dependent upon someone outside itself. And we're dependent upon each other as a society as well. But abortion pits mother versus child. It's like they're competing for the same resources that one's dependency in life is dependent upon taking the life of the other. It's not the way that we are created. Mm -hmm. the, we know so, so much scientifically now too. So the, the cells of the unborn child will go into the cells and into the body of the mother. And the cells of the body of the mother will go into the cells of the child for the rest of its life. Mother and baby remain intimately connected, whether that child dies or not, for the rest of its life. We belong to one another. So when we take the life of the child, not only are we taking its life, but we are, in a sense, killing part of ourselves as well. Oof. Wow. And if I could just add um, to the question about like President Biden and Nancy Pelosi, um, a lot of people would look at this incredible concern we have, like, you know, in the words that Peter just shared, that President Biden is not living out his faith. A lot of people would look at a phrase like that and say, oh, well, you're you're just being overly reductive as though like to be Catholic is to be pro-life and that's all it means to be Catholic. And and what I would say to that is that that would be reductive to say that or to assume that. But what we cannot do as men of virtue, as Catholics, whether you're a man or a woman, people of virtue, what we cannot do is stand idly by when there are innocent lives being taken and it becomes a very prime issue. Not to say that it is, not to say that the pro-life move, movement is what defines Catholicism, but rather to say that as Catholics who want to pursue lives of virtue, we cannot stand idly by when innocent lives are being uh, wounded or even killed. Well, so if you read Pope John Paul II, he would say the gospel of life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, like, but the gospel of life. These two things are not separate in the context of God became, yeah. God thinks mankind is so special that he became one with us. Right. So the, the, our very faith is based upon the dignity and value of kind of human life. And Pope Benedict said that this is a non-negotiable for the Catholic. You can't. Um, you, you can't be pro-abortion and maintain uh, your Catholic identity. Mm, yeah. um, so, so I think this is this is foundational. It's it's, yeah. it's it's a mark of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. It's not, and that's not me. That's that's our holy pontiffs who have said this. I, and I love that context of the gospel of life. I, I think what I meant to say is that the fight against abortion is not what defines Catholicism, but as Catholics pursuing goodness and truth and beauty, we cannot allow an egregious thing like that to go by without standing up against it. Exactly. And there's always going to be people that say they're in a movement that don't practice that. So we shouldn't base our views of a group of people based on a few people not actually living the things out. We should look at what they're saying they're living out. And I want to give a, a few stats. So this is from Pew Research from, I believe, 2016. So in total... Catholics going to weekly mass and those that don't so often go to weekly mass. Those that view abortion as morally wrong, 
Ugh. Yeah, Either morally tragic. acceptable or not a moral issue, 49%. It's awful. Um, when you start going to weekly mass, then 83% say that it's morally wrong. So that 17%, though, we're doing something wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the, you know, at the beginning, we have to get them to mass so they can understand what we're talking about. Because once you understand that that is a life that... Since 1973, 63.5 million unborn children have been killed, which is, I believe, about the population of Texas and California combined, not taking into account the generations that would have come from them. So this is a mass atrocity that we look at things like the Holocaust or you know the evils of Marxism or, or all these things that have happened just within the last 100 to 150 years, and this killing... Those are just the stats from America. If we look at worldwide, it's something like 40, 50 million a year. It's gross. Um, it's taking away generation upon generation. This is a generational evil that God will not just allow to happen. And justice will happen somehow or another. And it's up to us to change this culture, the culture of death. People hear the, you know, the words culture of death and they just think, oh, that's just some type of hyperbole. When you understand the numbers, it, it should make you sick to understand. And, and we don't even know the full numbers because some states don't even report it. But how do we change this? How do we understand, like get people to realize? I think one step is you know doing podcasts like this, diving into the issues, but especially men. How do we get men on our team? They're so often told, you know, this isn't your issue. This is a woman's issue. Um, stay out of my body, my body, my choice, like we were talking about before. How do we rouse the spirit of men? How do we, you know, build up strong, strong, courageous men to fight against injustice and evil? We've been emasculated. I mean, we we have a, a, a very prime uh, role as defenders of our of our women and our children, um, and we are just being emasculated left and right, and it's a huge. Uh, it's a primary tool of the enemy of of Satan and and, and the demons of hell because by d- removing our masculinity, removing our role as protectors um, of of the good, true, and beautiful of life, um, we it, it makes the rest of everything like easy pickings. And and we need to rise up as men. We need to re-identify with our role as protectors. Um, and I feel like that's a huge component of this, Peter. Yeah, you know, going back to your statistics, Kevin, I mean, people follow witnesses more than they do teachers. And our witnesses Mm -hmm. in the Catholic world have been President Joe Biden, have been the Nancy Pelosi. So we see those numbers because the most prominent Catholic politicians that we have, most prominent Catholics we have really in the entire world are individuals who are uh, being proponents of abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy. So that's that that educates a whole generation as far as what is good, true and beautiful. And unfortunately, uh, just a call to our bishops. Our bishops need to stand up across the country and call out any politician who claims the Catholic faith as their own, but yet is supporting these particular policies. Um, I think, how do you rouse men? Um, one, there's a call to battle. You said to, to, 
protect. Like that's our immediate duty. I mean, that's, that's what Adam was given in the garden to, to till and protect the garden of Eden to protect his bride. He didn't do it. He, he failed at that. But throughout scripture you have in Proverbs 24, that we are called to rescue those who are being taken to the slaughter. James uh, one says that, you know, religion that is pure and good as this is to care for the widow and the orphan. This is our primary call and duty as men is to step up and do that. And lastly, a great quote from Edwin Burke. He said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm. Abortion exists because good men have done nothing. We've been told a lie that you have no agency in this issue, that you need to step away, that this is a, you know, as you said, a woman's rights issue when actually it's a human rights issue. A human baby is being killed and we should not allow that as the human family, as a country, as a nation, or as a world. And I want to, I want to call, you know, men back to just a couple generations ago, look at your grandfathers, World War II, they all willingly knew that they could go and die, but they were willing to do that for their family. And we've been emasculated, you know, we've been told for decades, you know, all women want, you know, a sensitive man. (laughs) And then we became sensitive and it's like, oh, we don't want you anymore. Because, you know, we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be strong protectors. We should be, you know, have a philosopher's mind almost too, but we have to marry that with the labors, you know, of our work. But look back at your grandfathers. I I think a really good practice to do, and this is something I want to do, is have a few pictures. So just like in the Bible, it'll go through the genealogy. Mm. You know, this begot that begot that. Put a picture of you you know, maybe as a child with your father and then with your grandfather. And if, you know, if you have a great grandfather, go back that far and see the change that can take place generationally. Wow, yeah. I, I think you'll look back at your grandfather and you'll look at yourself as a child and you'll say, wow, I'm really failing right now. Hmm. I, you know, look at their lives, you know, not teachers, but look at the witness, look at the example. I look at all these great saints and I am inspired. <clears throat> I'm inspired to go out and do these things. And I'm just at the beginning of my journey. So I can't wait until, you know, to see it 10 years from now, 20, 30, what the change in culture could happen. So that's what we're trying to build here with the pro-life movement. It starts in DC. It, you know, ends up right now in the States. Hopefully, you know, in a very short amount of time, we can get the federal government to realize that human life is worth protecting all human life regardless of, of anything you want to put out, uh, out there. Human life is worth protecting. So I, th- I think we've gotten to maybe a good, you know, wrapping up place. I want to go over a couple more things just to, to kind of round out. We didn't get to, you know, all of my speed round uh, sorry. apologetics. But I, I'm not I, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not sorry either. I, I really loved where we went. Um, a couple things that, you know, pro-choice people will say is, well, you know, you just care about the baby when it's inside the womb. You don't care afterwards now that's not a reason to kill anybody but what what does the pro-life movement do uh that pro-choicers may not know i'm thinking project rachel i'm thinking feeding clothing you know providing transportation how does that look um to someone on the outside looking in the question should be what do pro-lifers not do um because literally pro-lifers uh let's just take the state of ohio 
There's 100 pregnancy centers in the state of Ohio that reach out to help moms in need. There's over 400 federally qualified healthcare centers in the state of Ohio that can help uh, mothers find themselves in a crisis pregnancy. Um, pro-lifers through you know groups like Catholic Charities, through St. Vincent de Paul Society, we help every single life from the womb to the tomb. Personally, I've helped uh, moms get uh, rent for when they are being evicted. I've personally helped moms get cars for transportation uh, to to and from their workplace. Um, but even if I didn't do all that stuff, wait, wait, you, you get, you're forgetting one huge one. You were willing to adopt a baby. If, yeah. if a woman was willing to not get an abortion and she took you up on that offer mm -hmm. and then when she saw the ultrasounds, she changed her mind and wanted to keep her baby. That's right. And I think, you know, pro-lifers, all the pro-lifers I know are really, uh, they're personally engaged in this issue. They're personally engaged in creating a culture of life, which I think is really important. So from the state of Ohio, from the governmental perspective, we have $6 million that are allotted to help these pregnancy centers around the state too. So we're doing stuff from a legislative perspective as well. But with all that being said, even if we didn't do any of that, even if we didn't adopt, even if we didn't offer help and assistance, I'd rather be pro-birth than pro-death. Like when someone says, well, you're just pro-birth. Yeah, I'm, I'm pro the human life being allowed to be born. Mm -hmm. Like that's, are, are you pro the, you know, uh, killing the child? And so, um, so from a fundamental philosophical, just foundational mm -hmm. level, it's better to be pro-birth than it is to be anything else. With that said, Pro-lifers are anything but just pro-birth. We help human life from the womb to the tomb. The question kind of reminds me of um, there was this time uh, several years ago. I was I was pre preaching uh, about like uh, pre-marriage workshops and stuff to a bunch of priests and getting them on board with where we were taking things. I was I was running those on uh, for the diocese of Toledo, and there was this older priest that rose his hand um, when I was done, kind of giving my spiel, and. He says to me, why is the church so obsessed with pelvic issues? Oh, God. And I could not believe that in front of all of these other priests and in front of some parish workers that this priest, this man of the cloth, asked me that question. And the relevancy to, to the speed round question that you just tossed out there, Kevin, is like at the core of this, this issue of life and abortion and whatever is sex is the union between a man and a woman and um at the and, and and what is so broken right now in our society related to this is is like a fundamental misunderstanding of the family and of of sex the sexual relations and and wh what role that has to play in our lives and in our, our relationships and what that manifests as is rampant sin and mm -hmm. brokenness and woundedness and so it directly connects to this question of pelvic issues right so I, after I kind of collected myself when this priest, you know, says this to me in front of all these people, not expecting that, right? Um, what I said is, um, Father, thank you so much for your question. Um, so if you'll recall uh, the woman at the well who was, uh, you know, m basically philandering and marrying a bunch of different guys, right? Uh, Jesus uh, not only says to her, um, leave, you know, follow me. He says to her, leave behind your pelvic issues and follow me. And the reality is that we will never find true, authentic healing and, and wholeness and fullness of life in the pursuit of Jesus Christ, in following him, unless we're willing to leave behind our pelvic issues, which we can never do unless we're invited to explicitly and unless we're fully aware of the full context of our pelvic issues. So it's super relevant. 
That that is beautiful, and it it really ties into everything. And you know, he's just kind of briefly touching on the theology of the body. Which, if you want to know more, uh, we have our podcast here, Naked Without Shame, that dives into it. They literally went to the Theology of the Body Institute, the J, the JP two Institute. Yeah. Um, so to learn more about that, visit nakedwithoutshameshow.com. Perfect. And also, you know, we've got Christopher West and we've got Jason Everett. There's a ton of people talking about these things. Um, I just want to briefly address contraception um, because a lot of people will say, you know, well, you should be for contraception if you're against abortion. It's one of the choices, right? And I I want to, you know, talk about this later because this is one of the issues too. Um, But real quick, before 1930, no Christian denomination was okay with any form of contraception. The Anglican Church started it only for married couples, and then the other Protestant churches started it again, um, or along with that. So I just I want to put that out there. This is a very new thing, um, and I'm sad to say I believe it was a Catholic that invented birth control. Uh, just think of the words that we used, birth control, contraception, you know, against life— these are just things that are rooted in our minds that we have to almost deprogram. We've been taught these things forever. Um, so I want to leave it there. Peter, what do you have to say? Well, just on that issue, just very briefly, just yeah. so for people to think about, uh, most women procuring abortions are on some form of contraception. So it's not a solution to this particular issue. Secondly, when you're contracepting, you create this attitude that uh, when I get pregnant, something went wrong mm-hmm. because it wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to happen. When in fact, when you get pregnant, something went right. That's what is supposed to happen when you're having sex. So that immediately affects your impact and your understanding of what that child is. Is that child an accident or is it a gift? And that's ultimately going to affect your your final decision as well. Yes. And, you know, the true gift of self and true love should beget life. So, yeah. all right, guys, that that was was really, really good. I, I love talking about this. This is a huge issue. And we're going to talk about this along with, you know, pornography, other things that are really affecting men today. Um, so if you have had an abortion, know God forgives you. He loves you. Ask for, for the you know forgiveness from God. Um, if you're on the fence, you know, and you're not sure what to think about abortion, talk with us. I have other resources, you know, look into this, really do your research. Um, because I think if you did your research and you were more open to it, uh, you would be more open to being pro-life. Um, and don't worry about what the world is going to say about you. They're going to hate you. So just know that. <laughs> uh, so guys, thank you so much for joining me today. So this has been, uh, Nick Delatore and Peter Range. Um, if you, you know, made it this far, if you liked this, please leave us a like, uh, subscribe to the channel, follow us, share it everywhere if you can. Um, you know, leave us five star on Apple Podcast. Uh, sign up for the Patron community at themenshow.com. Um, where can people find Peter? And Peter, we we've got a bunch of places yeah. where you can find everyone. So you can find <laughs> Peter at what's the website for your new, your new job? OhioLife.org. There you go. Beautiful. And also the Catholic Citizen Nick Delatore has got the Awakened Catholic Show. So. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody, on this episode of The Men's Show. And I just want to tell you one thing before we leave. Stay manly.